90.7 WTCC. Good morning. Welcome to the Spoken Word. I'm your host, Bishop Talbert Swan II. And as usual, we'll be telling it like it is through cultural idioms and nuances that shape the order, ethos, and chaos of the African-American experience. Words have their own vitality. They shape their own consciousness and create their own context for interpreting social and spiritual reality. The Spoken Word contains the power to reshape the landscape of society. Six minutes past the hour of 9 a.m. And I want to thank Miss Denise Marie Stewart, who was sitting in for Mr. Kenneth Barnett on The Promise. And you can hear The Promise every Monday morning from 6 a.m. 
to 9 a.m., bringing you the best in gospel music. Good way to start out your Monday morning. A great way to start out your week. Um, so there's a lot of stuff I want to try to get into today. Um, things that have been happening um, across the landscape uh, of news cycles uh, here in these yet-to-be United States of America. Um, didn't get a chance to really touch on it too much uh, last week. But I want to talk about the um, um, whitewashing of Naomi Osaka, um, who won the uh, U.S. Open against Serena Williams. Uh, I'll talk about that and the uh, racist caricature and depiction of Serena. Um, and then also, uh, I want to talk about uh, the Botham Jean murder and um, the uh, attempts by the Dallas Police Department uh, and um, the media to basically um, scandalize his name uh, and cast aspersions on his character and ruin his reputation in death in order to protect a cop that lied, um, that told a blatant, outright lie about what happened that evening when she went into his apartment and murdered him. Um, and I'm going to talk about that. And certainly um, would love to take your telephone calls at 413-736-2781, 413-736-2781. Tell somebody the bishop is on the air. I'm live uh, on Facebook and on Periscope at Talbert Swan. Uh, let them know that we're on. Also, you can give us a call at 413-736-2781, 413-736-2781 to chime in on the discussion. And hopefully um, sometime after 930, um, I will have uh, Imam Omar Suleiman from Dallas uh, who has been active in advocating for this family um, to talk to us. Uh, so stay with us. We'll be right back. Set your sights a little higher. Remember, eagles fly by themselves. 
If you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. Allow your challenges to be a stepping stone to propel you into new possibilities. So be discontent with your past accomplishment. You're only as great as your last success. So maintain your hunger and your passion. Remember this, within every seed there is a tree, and every tree there is a forest. Who and what you were born into is simply the environment to prepare you for your ultimate purpose. It was not a setback, it was a setup. Your purpose and potential is bigger than your past pain or problem. Much of life is about sacrifice. You gotta give up something to get something. Success is not about what you've accomplished, but it's what you have overcome. For it's the test that you pass in life which qualifies you for the next level. You have to be willing to face your challenges and overcome them. Most people drive 12,000 miles a year moving forward, but most accidents are caused when they move backwards. You gotta stay focused on what's ahead of you instead of what's behind you. It's your daily routine that determines your success or failure. Whatever you practice at is what you become great at. What's more important than being intelligent is having the right attitude. Respect costs you nothing, but it will cost you everything not to have it. So don't be too smart for your own good. Remember, a hard head makes a soft behind. What's more important than your five senses is common sense. The heart of a fool is in his mouth, but the heart of a wise man is in his character. So don't sweat the small things. The answer for a short temper is a long walk. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and remember this. You haven't lived long enough to know everything. Your character is what matters most. Once you have been labeled with a bad reputation, it's hard for people to see you any other way. A good name is worth more than all the money in the world. Your life is broken up into three parts. First you learn, then you earn, and then you return. You gotta give back. Four one three seven three six two seven eight one. Ready to take your telephone calls. Um, I've got Imam Omar Suleiman, who's going to be with us at about forty minutes past the hour, um, talking about this situation with Botham John in Dallas, Texas. Uh, but let me first start with um, a good morning to everybody who's out there, everybody who's listening on WTCCFM.org, who's listening on HopeRadio1.org, everybody who's watching live on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, um, and everybody who's listening, over 4,000 watts right here in the Pioneer Valley in Connecticut, uh, Vermont, Massachusetts, wherever you're listening from across the world, and certainly on Facebook and on um, Periscope, 
uh, rep your city or town. Let me know where you're coming in from. Certainly, uh, we'll acknowledge um, um, where you're coming in from, where you're listening from, where you're watching from. Um, letting folk know that you are in the house. So um, they don't know what to do with um, Naomi Osaka. Um, um, Naomi Osaka, uh, who's from Japan, born in Japan um, to a Haitian father, Japanese mother, moved to the United States at three years old uh, to New York, um, raised in a Haitian home. Um, they, they just don't know what to do with her. They don't know whether to pretend, you know, uh, she's a white girl. Um, but whatever they're trying to do, they're trying to sap the blackness out of her. Um, um, they, um, um, Philadelphia checking in on Periscope. Good morning, Philly. Um, um, in a cartoon that, uh, the Herald's son illustrator, Mark Knight, and he defends this to the hilt, um, drew, uh, in Australia, I guess I don't. I shouldn't expect any better from them. Shouldn't expect any cultural sensitivity. I, I don't know. Uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, in the house. Um, he depicts in this cartoon. Um, he depicts Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. And many of you know the controversy that happened during the U.S. Open with the umpire uh, and Serena. Now. He, he draws this cartoon depicting them during their match. Um, it's a classic racist caricature. Serena appears like a Hulk-like muscular figure. Her hair is unkempt. Um, he drew her with these oversized lips that are kind of reminiscent of the minstrel or the mammy. Um just classic racist caricature of Serena jumping up in the air in a fit of rage. The the typical angry black woman trope. Um, but then he draws her competitor, Naomi Osaka. Now, remember, Naomi is half Japanese, half Haitian. She's got skin as dark as mine, maybe darker than mine. She's a black woman. Uh, it, it, get over it, America. They're black Japanese. Uh, <laughs> um, she, Naomi is muscular, athletic. She's two inches taller than Serena. Okay? But he draws her as this demure, white girl, skinny white girl with blonde hair. I mean, he didn't just sap the blackness out of her. He sapped the Japanese out of her. He sapped the blackness out of her. I mean, he distilled her down to the lowest common denominator characteristics. Light skin, skinny frame, blonde hair. She might as well be Maria uh, Sharapova or somebody else altogether because she certainly didn't look like herself. And I understand, you know, folk will say, you know, what is racist about that? A caricature is supposed to, you know, be a little bit exaggerated. Yeah, caricatures by their nature, they're, they're meant to distort and exaggerate, but they're also meant to be symbolic. 
they're meant to be representative. Um, um, shorthand for a concept or an idea. And in this particular cartoon, um, the narrative was clear. Serena Williams, who's the GOAT, whether y'all like it or not, she's the greatest of all time. She's been cast as the big, ugly, angry black woman. And Osaka, by contrast, has been cast as the innocent white girl, even though ain't no white in her. (laughs) Oh, man. And, And, you know, most or many fans of tennis have pointed out that Carlos Ramos, the, 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 the umpire, was petty. And his petty umpiring robbed both Serena Williams and Osaka of what should have been a far less controversial match. Osaka was robbed of something else. Her agency, her identity, her story, her blackness. In interviews, she has been adamant about embracing both her Asian and black heritages. I've watched at least three interviews where she corrected the journalist who alluded to her being Japanese. And she had to tell him that I was raised in a Haitian home. My father was Haitian. I mean, you know, uh, she concedes that while she represents Japan in sporting events, she doesn't solely identify as Japanese, but she proudly represents her Haitian side. Yet her biracial identity is inconvenient when you're trying to put forth a racist narrative, especially a racist narrative that turns Serena Williams into a stereotype. It's more expedient to focus on all the things about her that aren't stereotypically black. You know, her being soft-spoken, her her tear-filled apology after winning the match, you know. This way, they, they, they kind of transform Naomi Osaka um, and frame her, if not as a white woman, then as a more acceptable and palatable version of blackness. You know, like the type of black person that doesn't make you acknowledge their blackness. You know, the kind that is a credit to their race. All that kind of stuff. Uh, But there are two narratives that are at play. There's the one in which Osaka is reduced to a silent and silenced victim. Tearful, not quite white, but not really black either. Reporters ask her whether Williams' quote-unquote behavior made Osaka lose respect for her. And by that, they were just trying to reinforce coded stereotypes that have everything to do with colorism, black myths, 
and the culture's implicit hatred of black women like Serena Williams, strong black women like Serena Williams. And then there's this other opposing, well-meaning narrative that paints Williams as a feminist crusader fighting for women's rights and against double standards in a sport that definitely has treated her unfairly on the basis of both race and gender. In the case of their match in the U.S. Open, Williams' actions, the way she broke the racket, the way she demanded respect from the umpire, should serve to remind people of the times she was forced to smile and grit her teeth at arbitrary clothing regulations. I mean, they they made rules so she couldn't wear certain clothes uh, or frequent Random drug tests, been drug tested more than any other player in tennis, male or female. Or the racist slurs and boos from certain tennis audiences that she had to endure. You know, it's important, it's valid to remember how disrespected she has been. Um... And so it's an oversimplification of what happened during that match to act like she just arbitrarily blew her top. No, this was pent up, built up. It was time for her to demand her respect. Come on, y'all. Aretha just died. And all Serena was saying was, I I need some R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Not just a little bit. I need a lot more of it. I mean, this was this wasn't solely political. It was deeply personal. It was human drama played out for millions of people. It was bigger than any little petty narrative this guy can draw with his cartoon. Trying to tell you. So y'all keep trying to take away Osaka's blackness. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line to all of it. Two talented black tennis players played a deeply emotional game. And those emotions came brimming to the surface for a whole lot of reasons. But you had two talented black women at the top of their game representing tennis. That's what they can't handle. That's what they're tripping about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that black girl magic. Can't deal with that. 413-736-2781. Let me play. Let me play. Let me see. Let me get it here. <clears throat> I want to play. Both and John, who was murdered in his own apartment by a Dallas police officer, and the Dallas police have been bending over backwards to try to justify his murder. This is him leading praise and worship. This is the man that was murdered. Let the spirit of the Lord rise in let the spirit of the Lord and
Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, caller. Good morning. How are you, sir? This is Bishop Swan. How you doing? Hey, Bishop. How's it going? How are you? All is well. All is well. Just transitioned into talking about <clears throat> um, our dear departed brother um, in in Dallas. And uh, first, let me introduce you to the audience, um, uh, Imam Omar Soleiman. Tell him a little bit about yourself and 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 how you came to be involved with the family of both and John. Uh, and we'll talk about his story and 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 where you all are in terms of advocating for justice for his family. Sure, absolutely. So um, I am uh, uh, a member of uh, Faith Forward Dallas of Thanksgiving Square. Um, I'm the president and founder of the Yakina Institute for Islamic Research. But Faith Forward Dallas uh, is a coalition of faith leaders, um, multi-faith leaders that are united for peace and justice, and Dallas being the most racially segregated city, major city in America, um, and that segregation plays out in various ways with um, racialized poverty, and uh, particularly, unfortunately, it's become uh, the focus of uh, bad relations relationships between police departments and communities here because we've had several prominent cases. And obviously the uh, police shooting uh, two years ago, uh, five officers as well in a protest. So it's been uh, quite tense here. Uh, this is a situation, though, I think um, it's coming on the heels of Jordan Ed the, the, the verdict on Jordan Edwards' murder. The 15-year-old kid that was in the car that was um, with, his, with his brothers, and they were leaving um, a party. You know, uh, uh, 
Officer Roy Oliver fired into the car, uh, killing Jordan Edwards. And, you know, that case, uh, we were hoping for a life sentence for the officer. He got 15 years, uh, so could be out seven years on parole. And so Dallas was already very tense. Um, but this was, I think, another level of just bizarreness and ridiculousness where you have a, a man sitting in his own apartment. Um, right. And an officer, you know, who, who, who was, uh, he wasn't engaging anyone in the public. You can't even say this is a guy that wasn't following instructions, that was displaying any type of behavior that uh, would have made an officer, quote, nervous. I mean, an officer went to his home. Um, and shot him in his living room. Obviously, we don't know all the details of it, but uh, we certainly know that her story is false because it doesn't make sense and it's already been contradicted by numerous witnesses around. Um, so, you know, we, we, we rose to the occasion a few of the uh, activists that, that are uh, well-known to, um, to particularly speak on police brutality and um, uh, racial injustices here in Dallas. And... Um, uh, Attorney Lee Merritt, who has been uh, just a, a wonderful advocate for families um, suffering due to police brutality, uh, and who immediately started to work with this family and uh, involved me, and that's how I personally got to, um, you know, come to know the family. Very, you know, obviously my relationship with the family is not not like the relationship that that Lee's been able to. Um, you know, to establish because he's been dealing with them on a daily basis, but just seeing them, um, letting them know, you know that uh, when they go home and the second assassination, which is the assassination of character, takes place, uh, there's a community in Dallas that will continue to fight for both of them and will um, refuse to buckle in the face of this very typical, yet nonetheless ridiculous, assassination of character which covers up for the injustice of the assassination have, have of you, the person of both of them. Have you all been able to talk to the brass in the police department to two things, get the rationale for why a search warrant, and, and I think I've got a good idea of why, but why a search warrant would be issued for the deceased victim? And then two, if a search warrant was um issued to search his murderer's apartment, how come information regarding what was found there or the toxicology report um, from uh, her blood that night, how come none of that has made its way leaking into the press, but uh, marijuana being found in his apartment was conveniently uh, got out of the police department and leaked to the press. Have you all been able to, to, yeah. to, to decipher that or talk to them about that? Well, here's what happens here in Dallas. And this is why, you know, what we describe are layers of corruption and people that work. I mean, the conglomerate of uh, cooperation between the police, off, the police department and, and, you know, some elements of the media and the city. Um, unfortunately, it's literally a case of good cop, bad cop. So you talk to the people that you know, you talk to the police chief, you talk to the mayor, you talk to, um, you know, the, the people that are in different places. They, they say, we're, the DA, we're going to get to the bottom of this and find out how to leak this information. Um, but what's been happening is that, um, you know, everyone absolves themselves of responsibility. 
And just the way that this whole thing has been handled from the start, um, it took three days. This this officer, I mean, this is just mind blowing. This merc, she was actually able to to move out of her apartment and go to another place before getting her apartment searched by the police. Uh, within those three days, she was able you, to you 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 you, you gotta be out. you gotta be kidding me. So so she no, was yeah, able to she was able, she to, was able to get her stuff and and, and move out and leaving nothing there yeah, for them to search. The search warrant on the victim's apartment. I mean, it, that's just ridiculous. And so. The, the, the idea that I mean, there's so much ridiculous. First of all, the way the Texas Rangers handled this, Texas Rangers told the family, both of them on the on the first day, that uh, we don't believe that that she's done anything that that deserves for her to be locked up. So there's just this uh, overt uh, racism and bias that on the part of the Texas Rangers and giving the investigation to that was a horrible idea in the first place. Secondly, um, you know the fact that this officer was able to spend three days. Uh, covering her tracks, while the police department leaked information on the day of his funeral, uh, you know, or someone from the police department or someone from the investigation leaked this information on the day of his funeral, and the irresponsible media that highlighted it as some sort of breaking news to once again make a black victim culpable in his own death. And on top of that, with all that's happening now, this officer has not even been fired. So she's on paid leave. The city of Dallas is paying her. She's on, she's been on the force for four years, and she's already been in two shootings. Um, and what we're finding from her, from some of her social media, or at least what was salvaged from it, uh, things uh, referring to Colin Kaepernick as Colin Cancer, uh, all lives matter propaganda. Um, you know, clearly an unstable person that was regurgitating very uh, racist views and. and for her to just be free like this um, is an insult to Botham's family. And what Botham's mom said, uh, which, which shook me, um, at the press con- the last press conference we had on Friday, she said that the call or the, the, the character assassination of Botham by the, the elements of the police department and the media that was seen that on the day of the funeral was more difficult on her than receiving the phone call that he had been killed. No mom wow. Wow. wants to. Uh, yeah, I mean that. That I think. I think all of us just go through when, when she said that because you think about you know how insulting that is to her. She raised an outstanding young man. Everyone around him speaks to him in just glowing terms. And if you if you were there at the funeral, then you see. I mean, the, the amount of people that loved him. Uh, the way that he had tried to live a, a life in which, um, you know, he served everyone around him. Uh, the diversity amongst his friends, I mean, he had a lot of white friends that were there, right? For him to be vilified now and portrayed as this black monster for the sake of covering up for police corruption, first of all, plays into the narrative of the good, good victim, bad victim, right? And, and so we have to as well, in our resistance, not, not fall for that. If Botham was not an outstanding citizen, and Botham was a kid that was trying to find his way that had no direction in life whatsoever and had crack cocaine in his in his apartment. It wouldn't matter, Botham, given the circumstances of his murder. Exactly, because we had another murder in Arlington within the same 24 hours where a cop, you know, pulled, uh, put, put his gun, the barrel of his gun, into the, into the passenger seat window 
and fired shots at a young man, Oshie, that was just that was driving away because he was nervous um, and didn't have the, the spotless record that both of them had. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because this is the man that was sitting in his apartment. And if the roles were reversed, if this was a, you know, and there are two scenarios, like if this was a black cop uh, and, a, and, and white victim, you know, that cop would have been locked up that night. Oh, he would have been locked and, up and uh, castigated and fired from the force, and um, and 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 the DA would have been announcing um, the charges and, and and been impaneling a grand jury. We would have seen a whole different chain of events. Correct. And 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 if Botham had a gun, the NRA spokesperson had the nerve to say that if Botham had a gun, the uh, the results might have been different. Yeah, it would, he would have shot her, and he would have been charged with murder even though he would have been standing his ground. I mean, Dana, Dana uh, Lesh is, is one of the most disgusting people that I, that I, that I, I, I can't I have to hold my nose when I see some of the stuff that she says um, to even insinuate that black men, black people, people of color have been shot because police officers claim they thought they had a gun and it was a wallet or a bottle of medicine, or or something else. Can you imagine if a black man actually had a gun, how that would play into this narrative and justification for for his murder? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, even, again, her facts don't add up. The witnesses are now six witnesses uh, that are contradicting her story. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see where this goes, but... Uh, we are planning to escalate on a daily basis. Uh, there's going to there, there's going to be daily actions in Dallas. We're not going to let people um, just move on from this one because if a black man can't even be safe in his living room, then where can he be safe? I mean, where 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 can people of color and minorities be safe in this country if they can't even sit in their homes? Um, and, and, you know, meet these unrealistic or these metrics that are placed on only communities of color, these metrics that make them deserving of being treated like human beings or Americans. Supposedly, if you, if you do these things, um, then you deserve to be treated with dignity. Then and, where and, does that play into the case of both of them? And if you do these things, uh, we won't kill you. Uh, you know, it's a shame that we have to teach children of color take your hands out your pocket. They may think you got something. We have to teach them steps of how not to get shot. Not, not that they're doing anything wrong, but we, we, we have to teach them to make white people comfortable enough with them that they won't shoot them. That's the America that we're living in right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think um, Dallas, uh, unfortunately has had too many of these cases recently. So, um, you know, it's about time for for us to take the lead and some historic police reform. And that's why one of the things we're we're not just calling for the officer to be fired. Um, we're calling for an audit into the process uh, that has taken place uh, since the murder of both of them. And we're also calling for a police oversight board that has investigative and subpoena powers. Uh, we're we're no longer satisfied with just having a window are being told, you know, trust us and uh, we're going to be transparent with you, which they never are. And you, can, you can look into this window and see what we're doing. Uh, we're, we're demanding at this point 
a seat at the table. We're demanding that, you know, when things like this happen, that 911 call should have been released the first day. Her toxicology report should be released. These these things that are getting to the media should not be flipping in the favor of the murderer to sway the public opinion in, you know, in, in anticipation of the grand jury. Uh, it, if anything, um, the murderer needs to be on trial, right? And that's why I want, you know, there's a word, uh, you know, prosecution that an activist used in the 60s. I believe it was it was uh, a protege of Malcolm X who said that when they, you know, they don't just prosecute, they prosecute. And somehow we're witnessing the prosecution now of the victim who was merely sitting in his apartment that night, um, you know, getting ready for the next day to be the outstanding citizen that he was because his life mattered. and He added an incredible amount of value to Dallas. And when his family sent him uh, to Dallas, uh, they were sending him to grow and to grow, uh, to grow personally and to help grow our community. And sadly, the city of Dallas uh, failed him. And, and we want to make sure that um, we want to make sure that we're able to tell his family that we won't fail him any longer. You you said something um, in that press conference. Um, you said that at that at this moment you were ashamed um, to be a citizen of Dallas and were ashamed of how the city government, the police department, um, and everyone involved had handled this case, um, and that 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 we should be here to prosecute a murderer and not prosecute. Um, a victim. Profound words. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I was at the, the viewing the day before the funeral, and one of the things that was said was, um, you know, we, we send you, or we send you the best of the island, and we're going to continue to send you the best of the island. And, uh, Pastor Michael Waters uh, wrote that, that inside, I think a lot of us said, no, you know, not until we get things done here, until we it's just not safe. And so, sadly, I mean, though we do, we'd love to have more both uh, being sent from places like St. Lucia. We, we also recognize that we have a lot of work to do as a city and a country. And I think uh, the veil has been lifted. We can no longer uh, masquerade as some uh, moral chief of the world. And, moral, you know, and, and, you know, we've done this. What we do, what our police force does, domestically. Uh, sadly, our foreign policy does the same in policing the rest of the world. Um, we have a lot of blood on our hands, and uh, you know, our, our civil rights uh, ancestors connected the dots between police brutality and, and militarism, and that's a whole other discussion, but uh, we just need to fix the way that we police ourselves and police the world. Absolutely. And that's going to take an entire restructuring of the institutions that terrorize here and abroad. Uh, Imam, I want to thank you for the work you're doing uh, in Dallas and, and really nationally across the country uh, and for being that, um, that voice of reason and that um, vociferous voice for justice um, in Dallas community and abroad and, and for what you're doing to um, make Bishop, sure that... if I may, I want to actually thank you because you have been a voice for justice. You've been everything and more that you've just mentioned, and thank you for standing with other communities as well. 
um, it was profound to have you uh, here in Dallas uh, when when President Trump up, upheld the Muslim ban. Um, you know, to just find your way on on Twitter and, and, and to find your way to that to that demonstration. So thank you uh, for being a leading voice as well. Absolutely, and 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 we're standing with you. Whatever we can do from other parts of the country, uh, we'll follow your lead and. Certainly, we'll be praying your strength as as you continue to to sound the alarm. Uh, appreciate you. You all follow him, please. Uh, check out what he's doing, Imam Ola, Omar Suleiman. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Facebook. Check out his work. Um, great man, doing great things. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you, four one three seven three six two seven eight one. Well, actually, I'm out of time. Um, <laughs> I got to move out your way. Uh, coming up next is mid-morning jazz, great black music. Uh, I got to move out your way. If you're looking for a place to worship, check us out at the Spring of Hope Church of God in Christ. We're located at 35 Alden Street, Springfield, Massachusetts. The Brick Church right there at Six Corners. Would love to have you come by um, Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m., 10.45 a.m., Tuesday evenings at uh, 7 p.m. Check us out on our website, 413hope.org. Check us out on Facebook as well on our social media sites and see exactly um, what we're doing. want to thank everybody who came out this past Thursday to the centennial celebration of the Greater Springfield chapter of the NAACP and helped us celebrate 100 years of justice advocacy in the Pioneer Valley, all of our former presidents that were there, um, all of our um, executive committee members and officers and members and our banquet committee and all of you all, thank you for making it such a wonderful event. Uh, Bishop um, J. Lewis Felton, uh, Vanessa Ford, everybody who participated on the program in any kind of way. It was a wonderful event. We'll be posting some stuff from it. Um, this week, I got to move out your way until the next time I talk to you and you talk to me. Always remember, God loves you. And so do I.
7 FM WTCC WTCC HD1